Hey, welcome back to Real Talk. So we're in this sermon series called Why Church? And we're talking about why does the church do some of the things that it does? And so yesterday you talked about why do we sing? Have you noticed sure. that Christians do some weird stuff in worship services? I know. Sometimes we come into worship services, it's almost like we're in a rock concert and people are like, rocking out, let's go. Did you ever use the, what is that rock thing that people... You know, all kinds of fingers, language, hands. I've had people bring in tambourines going, let's rock out to some Jesus music. Uh, uh. Flags? B-Y-O-T. Flags? Oh, of course. People that want to take a banner and run through the place. I've seen that in worship services where it's like a flag squad comes in and they're marching along, waving their flags. And if a person from the outside who had never been in a church before came in, they'd be like, what are you doing? Like all these people with their hands, hands in up. the air. Like, is, is are you being robbed right now? Like what is going Sometimes on? Sometimes people shouting. Shouting like, all loud kinds of loud too, right? words of praise to God. All the different forms that people do, the raising of hands, like the hold the baby. <laughs> I'm going to raise my hands to the Lord like this, or hand up, this hand. Field goal. Field, field goal one. Just finger up, moving, swaying, people moving to the music. Have you seen anybody dance? Dancing, dancing, falling on the ground, kneeling, laying. Prostrate, Prostrate before, before the Lord. Lord. you got to say that right, or yeah, it'll it be bad. really bad, for so, sure. Like, I think it's all interesting, because the Bible actually has a lot to say about worship. And it's supposed to be this sort of energetic thing, like just a few passages. Psalm 27 talks about shouting for joy. First Timothy says to lift holy hands. A bunch of stuff in Psalms. Clap your hands, shout for uh, for joy, shout for Clanging praise. symbols. Clanging symbols. I mean, second Samuel David, <laughs> King David, who's just this warrior. He's savage. He's dancing naked before the Lord. And that's a worship service? Apparently. Really interesting. So yeah, the way the Old Testament or the Bible teaches and describes worship settings and services is interesting. But it's not like you can like go to a passage of scripture and go, now let's tell you exactly what needs to happen in a worship service. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 4. It'll tell you exactly how you're supposed to, as leaders, form a worship experience for the church family. We don't have that. No, I mean, in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, we, we, we really do. It's mm-hmm. very ordered. It's very procedural because they have the tabernacle and you do this thing and you do this thing and the priest does this. But yeah, New Testament, we don't have that. I mean, I think James says in James 5, it says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. It doesn't tell us how. It's just this principle that we mm-hmm. are supposed to praise God. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How do we... When we, when we look at how we can worship, I've been in some places where worship was beautiful. I've been in some places where, honestly, I felt a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. and everything in between. So how do we kind of figure out, yes, we have freedom to worship, however we want to express that. And yet there's some worship that, I don't know, to me, it feels over the top. Mm-hmm. It feels kind of distracting, even self-glorifying a little bit. How do we figure out where that line is? Yeah, so what the New Testament, I think, does is there's some commandments of, okay, certainly we're to worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus. You know, commands that say, worship, sing, 
speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So yes, do it, but describing is much more what the New Testament does. Describing situations and circumstances where people worship together, but not prescribing, saying this is how it has to be done. And what it does is it leaves room for local leaders to set the tone in their church family for how to do it. But certainly I think one of the dangers, anytime you group people together and you say to them, be authentic in your worship, but not chaotic or self-glorifying is always a, a hard line. I think also one of the things we learn from the New Testament is really the presence of house churches mm -hmm. is really the primary form of worship gatherings. Right. These small gatherings of 15, 20, at most 50 people, yeah. What you can do in that kind of intimate setting and what you can do in a setting that has hundreds or thousands of people is very different because what the Bible does tell us, command us, is as leaders, we should maintain order in our worship settings. So with 15, 20, 30 people, how you maintain order and with hundreds or thousands of people, how you maintain order. So in the New Testament, there's things like speaking in tongues right. or speaking words of prophecy, all of which are still alive and active for today, but doing that at scale with hundreds of people and thousands of people, or if someone decides they wanna praise God and sing a song in a group of 10, or speak a word of prophecy, or speak in tongues in a group of 10 versus a group of 1,000, how do you do that? So there's this line of, order and authenticity that the Bible requires, I think, of leaders and doing it in a culturally relevant way. It's really interesting to figure out that line as leaders to design services where people can worship God. Yeah, where they have freedom. I mean, Jesus talks about that we're to, you know, we're to worship him with our heart, not just with our lips. So it's not just go through the motions. It's not just lip service to worship. It is supposed to be authentic and yet still Christ glorifying, lining up with scripture, meaning yeah. with you know having some order. Yeah, I mean, I, I just look at it with my small group, if I was gonna have a worship experience so different than in a room full of 800 people. Right. And so if in a room of 800 people, people were like, I wanna bring my tambourine, I mean, that might be fun, but it might make it chaos. If everybody brought an instrument, right. if everybody brought verses in my small group, that might happen. And it would be worshipful to God and unique and beautiful and authentic. So, yeah, it's really interesting to think about how to do this at scale with people. Um, but I get excited about wanting to worship with a church family that's diverse and yeah. inclusive at the same time, a level of order. Really interesting to kind of accomplish that. So you kind of touched on this in the sermon. What is it about music, do you think? Because... So we recently were on vacation and we were road tripping a little bit and we downloaded like a Spotify, you know, 1980s music road trip kind of playlist. And Nicole and I are just rocking out to it, yeah. singing, you know, Sweet Caroline comes on and we're just belting it out. What is it about music that yeah. is so freeing to us and makes us want to be expressive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a heart language, right, that we all feel and certain types of music resonate deeply. And so I even think in the worship experience how fascinating it is that we have different forms of worship, different mm. styles, different types, because each of us has a God-given wiring of type of music that resonates deeply and finding the worship type that resonates deeply with you really want makes you want to belt it out and be engaged in the worship experience. So I think it's great in this modern era that we have options. And there's lots of even options here at Faith of how to worship and, and the types of music that people resonate deeply with because it's wired. 
So you just mentioned that there's a lot of modern worship that's great. There's also some old stuff that's great yeah. too. Do you have a favorite, like an oldie? Yeah. So actually, my I mean, I resonate deeply with some of the throwback stuff. I mean, some of the hymns of the faith, like Martin Luther wrote, "A mighty fortress is our God," and when that's cranked out on the organ and the piano, I feel like I'm taken up into the third heavens just to sing these ancient songs that have so much depth to them. So I love some of the hymns that are from the past that really resonate. Do you have something that you yeah, my you know I. It's not super old, but as the deer panteth through the water, I mean, I just like something about that in my soul. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I love that. Yeah. So just quickly, we got to get out of here. What would you say? How would you encourage someone who is like maybe new to this whole Jesus thing? And it's like, I want to participate in worship, but I don't really get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think number one, it's just like, hey, there's so many options of worship styles out there. Get on Google and find the music. If you're a heavy metal rocker, there's Christian heavy metal yeah. rock. I mean, like if you like classical, then find what resonates with you. But if you're in a setting where you don't really, the music, you don't really know it yet, jump into it, dive in and try to focus your head and heart on the lyrics first and watch what happens if you just start mumbling along. Watch what God does in your heart. Just try it. Yeah, cool. And if all else fails, bring a tambourine. For sure. See you next time on Real Talk.